Welcome to the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius podcast. Forget frequently asked questions, forget common sense, common knowledge, or Googling for information. How about advice from a genius in their field instead? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are the geniuses of their profession. Richard has made it his life's mission to interview the geniuses of their fields in areas such as AI, 3D printing, quantum computing, blockchain and Bitcoin, and more. Don't miss out on amazing podcasts with geniuses. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and go to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com and subscribe today. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Finding Genius podcast series. I have a returning guest, Greg Paulson. Uh, he works at Zometry, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y. Uh, he's the head of applications engineering. And last time we talked about how Zometry helps facilitate uh, companies that want to manufacture various parts to find the vendors that will do it uh, for the best price and the fastest and the most reliable, et cetera. And we talked very briefly about 3D printing, but we didn't go deeply into it. So that's what this interview is about. Um, I have a lot of interest in 3D printing. I know listeners do as well. And there's, there's hype, there's reality, there's, you know, that dream of at home, uh, like Star Trek, you know, having this replicator that can make anything you want. So let's find out what's real. So Greg, uh, thanks for coming back. How are you doing? Hey Richard, uh, really happy to be back. And yeah, I know after our conversation of the, from the last recording, I think we had like an equally interesting convo about 3D printing uh, and I'm excited to be back and be able to talk a little bit about uh, um, the technologies and uh, what you could do with it. Yeah, I've spoken to 3D printing companies before, but I would guess you have a nice 10,000 foot view of the players and what they're doing and what's possible. And I know some do metal, some do plastics, some are trying to do composites, et cetera. But like, what's, what's your general feel? You know, we're here in 2020. What's your general feel of 3D printing? What is it capable of doing and what's still futuristic for it? Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize this. So 3D printing has actually been around since the mid 80s. Uh, so a technology um, called stereolithography was invented first, which was this curing of a photopolymer and turning it into a rigid substance by basically exposing a, a UV laser to a specific point. Uh, it solidifies that. And the, the material is almost like the same material they use when you do, uh, um, like you get a cavity filled or something, and they do that little UV cure in the back of your teeth. It's that same material where it cures and, and hardens over time. Uh, so some of these some of these processes are you know much more mature than other processes out there, but there's always these these strengths and trade offs uh, with additive manufacturing. Uh, since I, I work for Zometry and we are this manufacturing marketplace, so our goal is to to make quality parts fast, and that that means that we need technologies that are actually you know reliable and resilient, and it also means I have the benefit of taking an agnostic approach on uh, additive manufacturing technology. So we're, we're offering seven umbrella technologies uh, around additive or 3D printing, uh, both in plastics and metals at Zometry and all of them, they need to perform. And none of them are perfect, but they're, you know, some are, you know, much more mature than others. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a diverse uh, um, array of different, uh, different tech and I could go a lot of different directions. Yeah. Well, uh, again, what, um, let's talk about first, what's, uh, What's the fantasy of 3D printing? And are there any elements of it that we're even close to? Yeah. So 
This is a fantasy. So I've worked in traditional manufacturing as well, like injection molding, um, CNC machining, uh, and all these require some level of setup. So even the buttons on your shirt, uh, they are injection mold plastic pieces, millions upon millions of them made. Uh, but every single time you have a new design for a button, uh, it requires a new mold. So it's a new metal tool that has to get machined uh, to essentially the negative of that design, special tooling's made, and then you're, you have to set up in a press and create these parts, uh, you know, one by one by one, or sometimes in small arrays. Uh, but you have this fixed cost and this fixed work up front. Uh, the beauty of 3D printing is that the net material, the material that you're using to actually build this stuff with, your, your parts with, is uh, amorphous. It's a powder or it's a filament um, or it's a liquid resin. And through this machine, uh, you know, these different machines, they're actually able to harden or cure or fuse these materials together to build this three-dimensional object without the need of initial setup. So 3D printing allows you to kind of reduce that barrier to entry in manufacturing where you can just make that part. Or you can make a thousand buttons that are all a little bit different. They all have like your initials in it or something. And the machine doesn't necessarily care anymore. It's just, it's just doing its job and taking the next digital file and translating, translating that into a physical reality. So that the grand scheme of this is that 3D printing, it's not just another manufacturing technology, but it's a much more accessible technology. And with the ability to make it more repeatable, you could then kind of take this, this technology and move it to different places distributed and have more localized manufacturing sources without the need of uh, technical specialty. Uh, so it allows you to distribute manufacturing more, uh, which is a very interesting concept. When do you think that, um, you know, a regular, regular person, a regular consumer will be able to go somewhere uh, and say, you know, hey, can you make me this? You know, in the old days and still, oh, can you make me a key for this house or this car? And you can go to Home Depot and get it done, mm-hmm. which is like, a, I guess, a lame form of, of 3D printing. Yes. Um, but when's it going to be more sophisticated where you can go to like Home Depot, Lowe's or somewhere and they can make you something right then and there? So, you know, uh, I think there's going to be a mix. Um, I can tell you at Zometry, we have, uh, we have this distributed network of all these technologies. Uh, but every single one of these processes, and this is kind of like the hidden factor in 3D printing, they require 3D CAD design. So that's, that is a, a generated three-dimensional model. So you're, you're building your object on a computer interface. Uh, and that design is essentially what the, ma- what the machine is reading as blueprints. And very often, uh, you know, when you have your key, what they're doing is they're tracing a different key and they're making a key based on that. So you already have that profile there. Uh, but a lot of times what's not realized in that product development process where I, that I have, I have an idea, let's make it now with a 3D printer, is that CAD design. Um, something that I've seen over the last decade is the accessibility and the cost. So the accessibility of CAD design, of CAD programs has gone way up and the cost of CAD programs has gone way down. And I think a lot of that is attributed to uh, the influence that 3D printers, including desktop platforms, so these, these uh, consumer grade machines has really brought on is these guys have great printers and they're like, wait, I need to make a design and I don't have the software to do it or I don't have thousands of dollars to buy a software to do it. And the software has been catching up uh, for them. So uh, it's it's a really interesting balance because the printer is only as good as the CAD output and the software uh, um, can can basically dictate to the printer. Are there standardized software platforms that are coming up now specifically for 3D printing that 
are better than others? Yeah, well, I use, um, so I've been modeling in SolidWorks for quite a while, which is a professional engineering grade uh, platform. Um, and there's a kind of Autodesk has Autodesk Inventor and PTC has Creo. And there's a lot of these engineering grade formats that are very, very powerful and very useful for engineers to develop with. Um, there is also consumer end, uh, I should say prosumer end uh, softwares that are more accessible for students and people who are learning uh, that are still have a lot of powerful tools uh, to generate a design and not just a design, but a design that you're kind of, you're intending to do. Because uh, sometimes you do have to make, you know, trade-offs with like really, really low end or introductory software. Um, so I, I've been liking uh, Autodesk Fusion 360 and Onshape um, as two platforms where I can get a very low barrier to entry, a lot of times free trials uh, or uh, student versions or uh, like a very, very low cost uh, to get in, yet a very powerful platform that is nearly as good as some of these uh, software platforms that you use in the professional engineering world. Um, but those those literally didn't exist four years ago. Like these these technology, like the CAD design accessibility is a technology in itself, and uh, a lot of it hadn't existed for years. So now we're seeing this explosion of people that are able to design a part good enough and dangerous enough sometimes to be three D printed. Uh, so they may not have any traditional experience like an engineer would have in designing, but they they get enough to three um, D print their design, which is a much more forgiving manufacturing process as, in regards to design freedom. Uh, so that, that's a really, it's a really interesting side story with 3D printing is that CAD can uh, empower you a lot more and then the technologies are there. And again, we have accessibility to plastic and metal printing. So there's a lot more um, uh, cool stuff happening in the 3D printing world. So maybe it's obvious, but uh, why print in metal, why print in plastic? Are there hybrid printers out there? What what are the use cases for the different materials you can print with? Yeah, so the most uh, the most common materials that you're probably going to be printing with, especially if you're on a semi-commercial scale, are going to be uh, materials like nylons. Uh, they're really popular, and there's a couple technologies that can mass-produce nylon char- uh, parts really cheaply, um, uh, particularly something called selective laser sintering uh, and HP multi-jet fusion. Both of those take essentially a flour-like powder. So this is it's, it's a nylon material and use a heat source uh, for SLS, uh, so that laser sintering. It's using a laser to fuse cross-sections together. So it creates little micro fuses, uh, creating the shape of the part. And eventually we'll build the parts from bottom to top, kind of suspending them in the un- like unfused material. Um, for the multi-jet fusion platform, it also has a heat event, but in this case it's, it's using essentially a fusing agent that then gets exposed to heat and that agent absorbs more heat, creating a, a melt uh, at those locations. But each one is going cross-section by cross-section by cross-section, building parts up while suspending them in uh, essentially unused powder. So when you're done with these machines and the, par- and the parts are done, you're digging through them like a treasure hunt, uh, picking out your parts and you bee blast them off and you get really functional, useful parts. Like nylon is a very flexible uh, resi- chemical resilient material has good heat heat and temperature resistance, so uh, it's it's a really good general purpose one. I, I call it the eighty five percent tool because it usually brings you the eighty five percent of wherever your project's going to go um, because it's just such a useful material. Uh, surface finish is a little bit more, more matte; it's not smooth like a molded finish, but it's something that you can work around with different post processing. Um, the other uh, more common one is going to be something that along the lines of ABS or ASA. 
which is usually done through a filament fusion process called fused deposition modeling. And that's kind of the classic desktop 3D printer uh, that you, you may see where you have that um, a reel of material. So this like long strand of filament material. And uh, it's basically melting right at the end of that strand and then deposited it on the part object that's building and zigzagging back and forth and building the part from the bottom to the top. The beautiful thing about that filament platform is you could just change out materials. Uh, you have to tune it a little bit to what heat, temperature, and other environment factors you need, but it's boutique printing. So I need yellow filament for this one, or I need a glass fill uh, you know, or a composite fill for this one. And you could change out these, uh, these materials very readily where uh, these more nylon powder bed processes are really dedicated machines. They're, they're powerhouses producing you know, 30 to 300 parts per night, but they're, you're kind of dedicated to building a nylon. Um, metal, so I, I build those for plastic iterative prototyping. You know, plastic is cheap. Uh, it's easy to modify. Um, like I said, you could sometimes get a really good economy of scale making those parts. Uh, it's a different story when I talk about metals. So metal is not a commodity. It's, it is still, um, the pricing has gone way down. Uh, I know Zometry has extremely competitive pricing on metal 3D printing, but it's still sometimes an order of magnitude more expensive um, than the plastic counterparts with the same design. So there's a few reasons uh, why you're doing that. First off, the machines are typically more expensive. Uh, so I may be making a part, say, in like 17.4 pH stainless steel, which is a nice uh, um, hardened steel that is corrosion resistant, a very good multipurpose. It can be sterilized, uh, used in a lot of different applications. Uh, but yeah, I'm building this part. I'm literally fusing it to a steel build plate to build it. And I also have sacrificial structures that are holding what are called overhangs on this part that I need to remove. And that is made out of the same material. So everything I have to do to post-process in what I do in metal 3D printing needs to be stuff that cuts metal. So if I'm uh, running a uh, running machine in plastic, like I said, I'm, I can usually just take my hands and peel off sacrificial structures or sand it down. But when you're dealing with metals, you need a machine shop to really properly process that. So it's one thing to build a part in metal, but it's a whole nother thing. It's sometimes more of a thing on the post-processing side with metal 3D parts. And uh, that yeah, that's, is a, uh, yeah. that, that's what I want to ask you in general, um, plastic, metal, whatever you print from, how much post-processing is needed to remove burrs and finish a product to make it look uh, ready to use? Well, so I'm a, I'm a person who loves the layers, right? So I've, I've been building an additive uh, for over 12 years now. So I, I, I've come to appreciate uh, these, these layer lines, which is this, uh, this look that parts have because they are built cross-section by cross-section, kind of stacking on top of each other. Uh, that being said, to make it smooth, uh, you really do have to do several more intensive po post-processing. Uh, so for those uh, uh, powder bed systems, like those, those nylon parts, a very common finish that we'll use after we bead blast, which will remove any excess material, uh, you have this uh, almost sugar cube-like finish. And I may media tumble that to bring that sugar cube to like a satin finish. And I could dye it, give it different uh, colors. So uh, black is most common, but uh, you know, reds, greens, blues, you, you name it. You can you essentially dye it with a with an acid-based dye, so similar to what you do if you're tie dyeing a shirt, and uh, and give it some you know some color, some pop to it. Um, but if you wanted to bring that to a full smoothness, uh, there's um, there's a couple 
uh, options. You could go further abrasion. So like I said, with that media tumble, which is abrasive process, you go sand smooth and all of a sudden you're putting a lot of manual work into something that was completely digitally created before you touched it. So your scalability goes down or you can use some of these more novel processes. So there's some uh, post-processing uh, technologies that have come out recently that are using a, a vapor, um, like a, it's a physiochemical process that will actually go in surface smooth without you personally interacting with it. So you're basically um, racking or hanging these parts up in a uh, pressure controlled uh, environment. And then it exposes the parts to um, something that honestly has uh, enough of a, a reaction to the part to actually smooth out those surfaces. So if I'm doing that with ABS, I may be using something that's acetone based, for example, because uh, um, it's, it's chemically weak to acetone. And so it'll actually kind of like melt and smooth out the outer sides. When you're using nylons, it's some sort of crazy concoction to, um, uh, to do, do that finishing. But you get a really interesting result because it looks closer to something molded where it has a little bit of a gloss to it and the, the surface is sealed. And that's newer technology. That's been coming out like this year, really. Uh, so it's, it's, still, um, it's still in the early stage, but I think it'll become more and more common uh, as, we, as we move down in additive manufacturing. So what would it take to 3D print something, do the post-processing, then do the finishing with you know, paints and everything else, if paints are needed or some kind of gloss or whatever to, you know, a full finished part, do you think that'll ever be the domain of 3D printing or it'll be the workhorse in the background that gets the parts to that point where the finishing is done for the assembly lines? Yeah, so let's talk about where we are now. And, you know, we are pumping out additive manufacturer parts and zometry. Uh, so this is something that is, you know, one of our specialties. Uh, and we, like I said, we have all these different technologies. Um, different processes have different surface finishes to them. So like I said, those commodity uh, materials tend to be very cheap, but they also do not have that gloss smooth surface finish. So you could enter the market with a small part that's, you know, nine bucks. Um, but the second that you have someone, uh, you know, doing a, a manual action like sanding, smoothing, painting, you're paying for labor. And that labor could be significantly more than the cost of the part. Uh, to do that, so that all these touchless technologies are much, much uh, more viable. In to, to your point, to the scale of the future of this, where you're going to start building work cells that are closed loop and able to essentially take apart from that net blank finish that comes out of the uh, comes out of the 3D printer to a cosmetically beautiful part uh, in between, and that's that's still really in its in early stage development of. Uh, what's coming out there right now. Um, I could say that some of these resin-based printers, uh, so stereolithography, uh, like that, that early stage, you know, I said around 1984 invented, um, those have a more of a liquidy look to them. So they have a smoother surface finish, finish from the get-go and they tend to take paint easier and tend to post-process more easily than these other, um, uh, these other materials, but they're not as robust. But uh, what's getting more exciting to me is that there's um, materials like, for example, the process uh, made by the brand name is carbon. There's, there's actually not carbon in these parts here, or carbon fiber at least. Um, but carbon has a process called digital light synthesis that grows apart. Like uh, you're running in stereolithography where it grows from a liquid resin, but then cures into um, a much more robust engineering material that is uh, a long life of material and you have that surface finish uh, that comes out more cosmetically beautiful from those parts. So 
So, I mean, the, the answer is I don't actually want to paint parts. I don't actually want to, you know, manually sand them. My, my look for scalability and bridging that gap between prototype and, you know, cosmetic model making and going towards a production viable, um, low cost parts using 3d printing has a lot to do with the combination of processes that can provide better surface finishes while actually providing more better mechanical value um, or uh, integrating automated post-processing into the workflow. Uh, so every time you have someone touch a part, like every single time, I'm not sure if you've ever polished a headlight before, but if I want to take a clear 3D print through, for example, for SLA, um, the material is prints clear, but the surface finish makes it look matte, just like you have a foggy headlight. And if you ever have uh, polished a headlight before, you'll know how much of a lab, uh, how much labor that takes to take it, take it and go from coarse to finer grit to finer grit to finer grit until you have a very high polish on that. And you have to do the exact same thing with those parts. And that's just time. That's, that's your rate. That's your labor rate. It has nothing to do with the part anymore. It has everything to do with labor. So removing that labor rate from additive is key to making uh, more cosmetic features. Um, and like I said, or you could be like me and love the layers. And, and I think the, the world is getting much more used to seeing those, those, those natural build lines uh, in some of these additive parts. So what do you think is going to be possible uh, the next few years for 3D printing where people will see this commercial effects? And what do you think is a little bit further future, maybe 10 years, but really impressive and you think it's coming? Well, let's talk local news. Uh, the, the new, uh, I think, 777 or 787 uh, model has over 300 unique additive manufacturer components in it right now. So these are commercially used uh, additive manufacturer components. Uh, they're highly specialized, highly tuned, uh, and you know, the, these are made up with dedicated machines for this factory, but they're utilizing that advantage of uh, complexity without increased costs that additive manufacturing could offer. So additive manufacturing is being used regularly. If you have, um, you know, if you ever have a uh, like hip replacement, knee replacement, you probably have an additive manufacturer part implanted in you. Um, so there, there's a lot of viability uh, in additive. And of course, like it's, it's a king of prototyping uh, because no, I have no setup fees uh, for that. Moving to the, to the future though, uh, I think there's going to be a much larger merger between software and machine and the feedback loop that they have with each other. Um, so a lot of times when I talk about additive, I talk about it's building a net shape. It's the machine doing its darndest to make the shape of your part uh, and whatever process it's doing. Uh, I think with better closed loop systems, it's gonna start self-correcting and getting closer to what you modeled. Uh, so you don't have small, like minor discrepancies in tolerances or feature sets uh, on your parts. Um, like I said, that the whole printing process where the method in which you're prototyping is also the method in which you'd be making production is extremely interesting from an additive standpoint. So that process I mentioned with carbon DLS, uh, where it is making a part that if I just made one, it's still as viable as the end use production unit if I'm making 10,000 in that process or metal 3D printing to that, to that matter. I mean, that's metal. It is solid metal parts. I mean, they are they're not, uh, you know, something fluffy where you cut inside and you see voids. I mean, it is solid metal. When you cut, when you cut into it, it cuts like billet material. And truthfully, when you start working on a process where you're using 3D metal printing, your initial concept designs, if you're using that 3D metal printing to start your prototyping, is going to be that same material that you may ultimately build your parts in production with. And I think that's a very interesting 
goal for anybody building additive manufacturing platforms is can I prototype this and will someone be able to take the same technology to a production level? Um, you know, I think it's very, very interesting. And just from your, your standpoint, like some of these parts are not, uh, they're not cosmetic, but they're still extremely mechanically viable. And I think uh, something you're going to start seeing more from uh, larger brands, you know, commercial brands, if you're talking GE or these other, um, these other companies is uh, the av- availability of a digital library of parts for replacements as an alternative to buying replacement parts, I think will be one of those things that we're going to start seeing more often uh, than not, uh, because you still have mechanically viable parts. They may not be the, as pretty as the molded pieces, but they could be near instant satisfaction or gratification from being able to take your desktop printer and just make a replacement on the spot. What about, um, you know, making much more lightweight parts or, des- or designs with voids where there can never be voids or, you know, impossible parts? Is 3D printing getting better at that? What are the use cases? Yeah, so particularly for powder bed processes uh, that are doing a fusion event of those parts, you get very unique complexities out of that. And so lattice structures are very common when you're looking at building a structurally sound but lightweight design and you're using 3D printing because lattices um, are able to form with these processes because you're basically growing one feature on top of the other without worrying about a kind of a line of, line of sight, like a directional cut, like you would with a traditional CNC manufacturing where you're drilling into that part. Uh, and yeah, you're absolutely able to do that. And keep in mind, you know, that's we're talking, can the printer do it? Yes. Does software enable it yet? Not great. It's not, it's software is catching up on that. So you see some amazing stuff coming out if someone has a robust enough software, but that accessibility to software to apply things like lattice structure or that optimized geometry that's, that's called topology optimization. Um, all of that has really specialized software that is really cool when I see it applied. And I, the best parts we've made have been made with, uh, with this type of design software. Uh, but the accessibility, it's still at an upper echelon versus uh, a lot of the, these uh, inter- introductory CAD programs where a lot of people are still playing and building their designs through. So you don't see it as much as I, I re- I'd really want to because the machines are absolutely capable of developing these designs um, and these geometries right now. I'm also really interested in texturing. So being able to select a face of a part and apply a texture, like say like a diamond grid pattern or something like that. Uh, I think that actually helps make some of these parts that have less cosmetic faces naturally look a little bit better by creating a, almost an even uh, purposeful texture across those parts. I think that's actually a new piece of technology that we'll see uh, more and more. And again, all that is software driven. It's, it's actually not the printer. The printer is already pretty capable. It's about bringing the software and bridging that gap, which is actually more important for you know, the next couple of years in additive manufacturing. Well, how hard is it for like, professional grade software and the stuff that you have? Can it do it? Or are you talking about more hobbyist software and those features are missing or is it missing in general? Um, I think they're still, they're still lacking. Uh, like I said, I'm, I, SolidWorks has topology optimization packages. Um, I know uh, Siemens has a great uh, um, package for, for doing this type of work. And a lot of these, a lot of these uh, technologies are out there with, um, with design add-ons, uh, but they're not inherent in the base package of the CAD program. So unless your job is, doing, you know, mechanical lightweighting via topology optimization, a lot of times your accessibility to that, to that software platform um, doesn't exist. Like you, you just, you don't, don't have it yet. 
Um, there are some mesh manipulation softwares that will take a mesh file, what you've generated with your, um, with your CAD design, and, and mesh is essentially a, a file, file format that's that can be interpreted only by 3D printers. And uh, it's also the same file format that you may use for like uh, uh, 3D animation. Uh, for example, where you don't need solid, it doesn't need to be solid. It just needs to have an out, outer face to it. And uh, and some of these mesh manipulation programs can incorporate uh, things like lattices and different infills and different structures to, to uh, parts. But again, they're not cleanly joined with uh, traditional CAD software. So I think that's still something that there's bridging. And again, there's, if you look at, if you do a Google search right now and look for you know, topology optimization or lattice 3D printing, you're going to see a lot of softwares out there or you're going to see a lot of add-ons for traditional CAD packages. But there's not a lot of CAD right now that just has as a default saying, hey, I'm 3D printing and I want to uh, grow my part in this orientation, generate this section into this type of lattice structure. Uh, that's, it's not as straightforward as I, I hope it will be soon. This is probably like a uh, very strange area of it, but is there any biomimicry, anyone uh, with a fascination for using 3D printing to create models of living things that are far more accurate? Um, absolutely. And I, I think that's when we're talking about lattice structures. We're talking about um, growing parts. I mean, we are not subtractively made people. You know, we are not subtractive organisms. We are additive. We are 4D additive, if you will, because you have cell, uh, you know, cell growth and, uh, and multiplication. Um, but we are growing, uh, you know, we are growing bit by bit on top of each other as we're, you know, as, as humans or any life structure is built. So additive is much more analogous to organic growth than um, traditional machine cutting. Uh, you know, uh, when you're, uh, you know, when you're taking a, a piece of a piece of metal and taking a drill or end mill and shaping it and forming it, uh, that's, uh, you know, is a process that we're very used to and we're very good at doing uh, from a technology standpoint. But uh, organic growth is much uh, much easier to actually show off using additive manufacturing technology than with traditional manufacturing where it would be a lot of surfacing. Uh, so uh, actually, I think biomimicry is a very strong point uh, when you're designing for additive manufacturing. Interesting. Any other uh, ancillary uses or uses that you know I haven't thought of or people wouldn't think that, uh, huh, I didn't know you could use it for that? Anything strange you run across are really cool. Oh man! Uh, so a lot of times, so I, I live, I live and breathe in the world where I'm working usually in aerospace, uh, professional engineering environments. So a lot of stuff we see is very straightforward, like you know brackets, fixtures, things where uh, the traditional way of doing it may have been like four or five pieces, but with additive manufacturing, I could just essentially merge all those features together and make it out of one piece that would be very complex and expensive to traditionally machine or mold but very straightforward to 3D print because again, you're growing those part, those features out from each other. Uh, so a lot of what I live in is that, is that mechanical world and, and they're looking for, can I mechanically substitute what I've been doing traditionally with an additive manufacturing counterpart? So sometimes it's a, a surrogate for casting. Uh, so something you may metal cast uh, for production. Can I substitute it uh, with additive manufacturing? Absolutely, you can do that. Um, and then, of course, that prototype to production stage where you're kind of testing your market and moving forward. Uh, I think one of the things to, to note is you have different fields of, uh, of folks who are understanding additive manufacturing. Those who are using it are able to see um, 
different capabilities and often have like two or three technologies they really focus on and may not even be aware of, you know, the other like 10 that are out there and available to them as well as the array of materials. Um, some may not even know what's capable. So like I, you know, I hope that some of your, some of your listeners today learned that you can 3D print metal and it's a pretty common thing. Um, you just need to have some rules behind it. Uh, but all of that takes that 3D CAD model to get started. Uh, and, you know, the power users are few and far between still. There's still so much that these technologies can do. Um, but a lot of that has, a lot of the knowledge is still tribal where um, those who are using it have already kind of stubbed their toes, you know, 20 different times on different projects. And they've kind of learned along the way some, uh, some guidance and tweaking uh, to make their parts right. Uh, something that I do at Zometry is uh, I help write our design guides. Uh, so we have free online design guides for every technology that we offer, including the seven additive manufacturing uh, techs out there. And if you're looking to learn a little bit more, I really recommend checking out some of our design guides because you'll learn a little bit about the process itself, as well as kind of the do's and don'ts and, you know, what's great about this process and where the trade-offs are. Because like I said, nothing's perfect, but not even like traditional manufacturing is perfect in every way, shape, and form. So it's more about how can this be a tool? Yeah, so as resources for listeners, it's perfect. Um, can we include a design guide, you know, a link to it in the show notes? Mm-hmm. And then also, you mentioned offline an article you wrote about 3D printing in 2020, what's coming or what's possible. Yeah, so, so yeah, um, definitely happy to share that in the in the meeting notes, but uh, I recently wrote a, um, it's a little bit of a read, but uh, it's uh, what lies ahead for 3D printing in, in 2020, uh, some trends, and a lot of it we've, we've touched base on, so that's, you know, the the software, the power of software and uh, software and simulation uh, before printing and even during printing, um, this, the power of adding better properties to these materials. So we talk about uh, what's isotropic and that's, that's basically any direction in which I'm pulling this part, does I have the same mechanical effects? And when you're building parts layer by layer, very often you're actually weak in the stack direction. So that Z direction. And so there's, there's a lot of, uh, um, there's a lot more going on there that I write about. Uh, of course, new materials, new processes coming out, um, uh, silicone, ceramics, uh, different metals, even printed circuit boards, uh, and then the hybridization. So sometimes using an additive manufacturing part, part as a piece in your setup for machining or your injection molding, or even in your CNC machine, uh, actually being able to grow material and then cut it away. Uh, so the, all this is coming out. There's some much, um, some process more mature, mature than others, but the accessibility still isn't there. So these are th- some trends that I've been talking about for 2020 and beyond. Okay, well, that's great. Well, Greg, you're the man for 3D printing. Thanks for coming <laughs> back and uh, being excited about it and making it uh, interesting in, in uh, an understandable way for the layperson. So um, it, those articles will be available, and then people can also go to zometry.com, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y, any other ways they can get contact? Uh, Zometry.com is definitely the the best place to to start for all our guides and resources. Again, my name is Greg Paulson. Uh, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn or uh, if you go through through Twitter at Zometry Greg. And uh, also, we do a lot of video education series as well uh, on our YouTube page. So that's Zometry's YouTube page. But um, yeah, we have lots of channels to educate on. So definitely check them out. Excellent, Greg. Thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Future Tech Edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. This podcast is information only. No advice of any kind is being given. 
Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe today by going to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com.